when I was working in the freelance world, it was really sometimes you have a lot of clients, sometimes you don't have. So predictable revenue for me as a business owner was the holy grail. And I said, okay, I have to find some stories in my in my closet actually hidden. <laughs> and I said, I will have to figure something out and share something with the world out there. You're the master of B2B outreach. Tell me more about it. Tell me everything there is to know, like the main pillars of how to do B2B outreach. What's the philosophy of it? I'm really excited because it is completely different world with B2C. You know, in B2C, it is you're targeting consumers. You put a flash LED light Facebook ads, buy here, buy here. And it's like 5, 10 euros, 100 euros. People just pass their credit card. In the B2B, it is a completely different world. I mean, multiple people are involved. It is a longer sales cycle for starters. They're always a decision maker and the sales cycle is much longer. So I need to ask my boss, I need to ask my boss and I need to ask my boss and someone needs to decide and it's to come back to you. But on the other hand, most of the marketing agencies don't like to do B2B. I don't know why. For them, it's like, well, B2B, ah, why should I bother with that? Let's stick to consumerism. And on the other hand, we love the B2B world. I mean, it's not numbers, it's art. Art of how you can approach a foreigner, how you can start warming them up, how to build a relationship, and ultimately how you can actually bring them closer to you. And if there is a fit, actually try to, to pitch something to them. And every time when, when we're looking about the relationship, uh, in-house joke is like, okay, it's more like you're approaching a girl in a bar. You don't just go and how would you like to buy or how would you like to go out with me or how do you want to get Wanna out? Want to marry me? <laughs> yeah. Hi, would you like to marry me? It's more like, hello, let's connect. Let's chit chat a bit. Let's see if we're a good fit. And this is more like talking about the weather, talking about, I don't know, COVID. I haven't been out in a while, so I'm kind of lost in that world now. But the whole point is to start chit-chatting, start building some kind of relationship. And if you see that there is chemistry, only then you're actually dipping up the conversation. And it's interesting. People think that with social media, it shouldn't be like that. Well, if it works in real life, it can be replicated in social media. So with the B2B outreach, we're trying to do exactly the same. Reaching out to people, say, hi, let's be friends. Let's connect. Let's see if we have a mutual interest. Do you like... Football? No. Okay, at least it's right. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> Do you like puppies? You like? Okay, I like puppies. Let's talk about puppies. And then you have a conversation topic. But at the end of the day, it's it shouldn't be so spammy. It's like, hi, do you want to buy this? No. Okay, thank you. Hi, do you want to buy this? No. Okay, thank you. And this is what is happening currently with this digital outreach. People are just spamming like, hi, my name is Dancho. I actually sell this, this, this. Would you be interested in buying? No, thank you very much. Going to the next one. Well, mm. on the other hand, I've realized that if you start building the relationship, you're the go-to guy. So when someone we reach out to and we explain what we do on a really good matter, we become the outreach go-to guy. So even if he's not ready now, maybe after six months, after 12 months, after one and a half year, if he needs something that is B2B outreach, he says, I know a guy. And that's the core thing that we try to achieve.
Okay, so what's the right way to talk to a person, right? Because you, you made these two comparisons of like going the way of like, oh my God, I'm not worth your time. I have to quickly deliver my message and just run away because your time is valuable and ah, I'm not worth it. And the other way is more about like relationship building. But how do you do that without, I guess, like falling into that idea of like, oh, I should Being be quick. Awkward. <laughs> well, the quick is completely the bad thing that people are, mm -hmm. you know, the rush. Okay, I need to pitch immediately, otherwise I might lose them. And actually, yeah. then the mistakes start to happen because it is one way when you're trying to get to know a person. It doesn't have to be a boy-girl relationship. I mean, when you hang out in a bar with the other girls, it's not like, hello, I would like to sell you something. It's more like, let's hang out and see what happens. Because I've realized that when it comes to deals, people work with people. If I trust you, if I like you, I'm saying, okay, what are you doing? How can I invest in your business or how can I work with you? Because I like you. I want to work with you. I want to build our relationship. And of course, I won't going to give you a million euros. I'll start something small, see if it works, then I'll increase and then increase. But it is a starting of a great business relationship. On the other hand, there was a story saying that when you go at the airport and if you want to offer some tourist tours around the city, in Barcelona, for example, uh, you don't just go around, hi, do you want to have a whole tour or something? No, okay, thank you. Hi, do you want to have a whole tour or something? It's more like, hi, what is the time? As a very simple introduction in order to get the engagement going. And when they say, what is the time? Then you're saying, oh, thank you very much. Do you, by the way, need a ride to the capital? Because the airports are usually far away. And if they really need, yes, but if they don't need, of course, there is no point in keep pushing them forward. But if they need the right, mm. then you've served yourself a half an hour conversation in order to realize whether they're guessing, visiting relatives or whether they're just trying to sightsee. And if they're trying to do some sightseeing, then you can say, well, I'm actually a tourist guy. Would you like me to spend the whole day tomorrow in order to to show you around Barcelona. And if you see, it is a value ladder. It's like, just how much is the, what is the time? It's very little effort, just someone to tell you. Having a drive to the capital is still a low price product that it is an entrance to you. And that's how relationships should be built. It's never like, as you said, hi, would you like to marry me? It's more like, hi, can we start chatting and see where this goes? So practically no. it's seduction. Seduction is you find an excuse to like break the eyes. <laughs> yes, yes, but it's funny. It is kind of seduction in the B2B world where if you just go and just say, hi, my name is Dancho. I actually offer this, 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 and this. We can make you this and we can make you this. That's boring. I mean, where's the curiosity? Where is the excitement of sell? And we are actually moving the other way around. We're doing it a permission-based. Hi, I've actually worked with several companies in your area. If you want, I can share them with you. I can share some case studies. I can share some testimonials. But I'm not giving them out because that we call value vomit where they're like, hi, there is a PDF, there is an ebook, there is something. And he's like, but I didn't ask for any of this. Why, why are you keep sending me this stuff? And permission-based is like, hi, 
I do this, this. If you want, I can actually share you free examples. And, you know, that's a hook. And you're actually testing if some of them will actually bite, will actually someone be interested in engaging. And it's not flirting, but you, you put it good. You're trying to start be, not being secretive, but, you know, now mystique, promote a curiosity, because that's the only way people will actually say, okay, I want to know more about this. We have a formula that we can help you. We've actually helped three companies that are in the same industry with you. And we know how we can help you as well. And if he says how, then we're saying, okay, come on a call. I'm happy to tell you more. So you see, we don't want to just tell them everything during the outreach because the whole goal of the outreach is not to sell. I mean, I know it is a misperception that email marketing is a marketing is not email sales. If it was an email sales, then it's like, hi, I'm selling you this, this, and this it's email marketing, which means is getting to a cold prospect, bringing the awareness, raising and see if there is an interest. If there is an interest, then you're moving them to the sales process. Everybody wants to have a stable supplier. It's not just us. It's not our clients. That's why they always prefer relationship. Because if you manage to build a good relationship with your clients, you're their supplier. They no longer want to even look for alternatives. Even if someone gives a, you know, a bit cheaper service than you, if you have a good relationship with the client, it's like, yeah, that is a bit cheaper, but I love working with, with Alisa or Dancho. So I'm going to just stick with this because I really enjoy the experience of working with them. I was working as a freelancer. I was, um, I was on all freelancing platforms like Odesk. I think now it's Upwork. Uh, freelancer, people per hour, you name it, I was there. And there I was able actually to work what I love, doing market research, business plans, working with entrepreneurs. Some had some very fancy mobile apps that want to conquer the world. Others <laughs> actually had some very viable products. I was like, wow, this is 22nd century products. Mm -hmm. So I caught myself up like I'm eight hours at work and after work, I need to do what I want to do as a freelancer. And there was a tipping point where I started money, earning more money from my freelancing world than compared to the, to the full-time work. And then I said, okay, now it's time to actually quit my job, devote to my freelancing. I was near, recently married, so I was with my wife at that point. And we said, okay, let's become digital nomads. Sounds like a very exciting experience where, you know, you can work from wherever you want and you can travel the world. Okay. For the world, you need a bit more money, but travel Europe because <laughs> I'm from Macedonia. You get in a car, you start going Serbia, Hungary, Germany, Netherlands. Uh, we had uh, Belgium. We went to France, to Monte Carlo. So, you know, like a 45 days Euro trip where oh, you get up in the morning, you yeah. do some work on your laptop, you have a coffee, you do some sightseeing, then you come back and keep on working at the night. Or you go to a bar, you just order some coffee and Wi-Fi. And it was a dream come true. I mean, at 20 something, I don't know, 26, 27, to be able to just pick your backpack and start and work from wherever you can. It was a really interesting experience. And since we're with a car, sometimes we weren't even able to find accommodation or hotel. So you just put your seat bags and you can sleep in a car. It's not a big deal. It's even more exciting, although a bit scary depending in which country you end up. But <laughs> at the end of the day, you had everything that, that you need. Now, this came, became the problem at some stage because mm -hmm. at one point in France, I actually got sick. 
I mean, not sick seriously, but I had some fever and I, it kept me in bed for, for almost a week. And then we've realized that if one of us is actually sick or unable to, to work, then we're both stuck. I mean, even my wife couldn't work, I couldn't work. And then we've realized that, okay, this is a problem in the digital moment. You work, you get paid, you enjoy life, you have international clients. But if you need some time off from work, you no longer get benefits or salary or, or anything. And mm -hmm. this was the tipping point where when we got back in Macedonia, I said, okay, lesson learned. We need to have a serious conversation with my wife because on the other hand, we said, well, how are we going to start a family if we continue this digital nomad life? Because, you know, if my wife gets pregnant, she cannot work. And if baby comes in, I cannot work as well. And then that's how the story behind BSB came in. We said, well, actually, we need to start it as a company, bring some more people in, push it a bit harder to establish the company as a business, and then try to take a step back in order to raise the family, ensure that we have some health benefits and everything. And that's the tipping point that we've realized that as a freelancer, you can do pretty decent money, don't get me wrong. But on the other hand, if you want something more stable or, or something uh, more sustainable, then you actually need a company and hire more people. And you can even take a few days off and you know that the company is still bringing more revenues. And with that mindset, when we started the business, we said, look, we need a company that can work without us. And that was the key driving force in, in Bisbee Solution. So from day one, we... We were actually broke. We took four interns when we started with some few computers. But the whole goal was that, okay, these people need to start bringing revenue. And as we grow, we need to have an organizational structure like project managers, marketing managers, sales manager. So even if I disappear for two weeks, for three weeks, I know that things are still going on perfectly. And it did. I mean, did you I, manage? Yeah. yeah. To have actually, like full independence from it. Completely full, never. Completely full, never. <laughs> But I could easily take two or three weeks just unplugged from the regular life. Uh, I mean, I was in Dubai for three weeks. I was in Sri Lanka for three weeks. I was in uh, Europe for another month. But in that period, you're on a holiday and you know that things are good in, in the company. And when you start you as well. an entrepreneur... <laughs> Yeah, when you, I, ah, I was still checking my email every morning just to make sure that there is no fire. But you know, when you start the company from the ground up, just having that mind of self-sustainable ecosystem, even when you're hiring people, it's like, okay, would you survive without me? And the internship programs that we still have is like, the moment you can work without me, you're hired. That, that was even the, how Ooh. we actually recruited people. I love and, that idea. That's just uh, right, yeah. This way actually gave me the power to, to work on the growth, working not in the business, but on the business and actually start improving it. I love that. But you're, instead of being the firefighter, you're, you're like, okay, take a step, in, uh, a step back and thinking of like, okay, what is going to be the future? What is the big picture? What is yeah. the direction we're heading? Hmm. But Alisa, not to lie you, there are always fires. As, <laughs> as much as I would love to say, okay, I live in a fire-free environment, that is just a lie. No, I of mean, course. 
I'm happy that the majority of the small problems my project managers can take care of. Whenever there is a big fire, of course, I'm involved. That's the story behind the, the Superman shirt. Because uh, whenever I was free, I was just like, I'll go into sales. Okay, what's the problem? And they're like, we don't have a problem. And I'm saying, impossible. There has to be a problem. <laughs> Give like, me one. No, no. Make it up. <laughs> Exactly. And they were like, well, there's no problem. And then I'm thinking, okay, so we need to change something in sales. We're introducing a proposal solution or we're introducing how we change things. So I'm actually making a problem because that's the only way to grow. If there mm. is a problem, I'm trying to solve to grow. If there isn't, I'm introducing a problem. Resistance. Like, yeah. Yeah. And just to take sales as an example, it's like, okay, what's the problem? There's no problem. Okay. Let's look at the funnel. How many are we converting? How many are becoming leads? How are we currently selling? Let's introduce a promotion or let's introduce different templates that could improve our conversion. Let's introduce three different tools like Amelia for calendar scheduling for the events. Let's start creating videos for this. So if there is no problem, it means that it's status quo. And I never want the status quo because status quo, if you pass five years, you haven't moved even a millimeter. But if you keep on introducing new problems, you're actually growing as a person, as a company, and as a team. So that's why I actually got the Superman nickname around because I just go around and solve problems and also create a lot of problems <laughs> along the way. And just it's like saving a woman killing a building. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oops. And it's funny. <laughs> Because uh, to give you an example in marketing, yeah. uh, we are pretty good now in creating content and attracting clients with written words. So we do B-weekly blogs on the outreach, of course. We actually have a B-weekly newsletter. We are very active on the social media, but all that's in the written media. And then I said, okay, how are we doing it? And they were like, we barely stabilized the written part. Now we do a lot of words, a lot of outreach, a lot of content is being generated from BSB. So now everything is stable. And I'm saying, okay, so now we are ready to the next stage. And they were like, well, we just barely stabilized the, the system <laughs> of all the copy and blogs yeah. and everything, who does what? You're I like, said, perfect. perfect. Let's move to the next stage. All new problems arise, which once we solve them, we are on a completely new level. Yeah, I like that. You know, there's um, this law, I don't remember what's the name of it, but yeah, the idea is like, if you will give a person uh, an X amount of time, let's say six months to achieve something, the person will um, allocate their time in a certain way. So they actually achieve that in six months. But if you give them less time, let's say three months or two, they will still do the same thing. They will just procrastinate less. <laughs> That's called the Parkinson law. Uh, exactly. I know it because I, I use it as a reference as well, because <laughs> That the, the, I mean, it's, of course, if you need to rush it, it will affect the quality, but not by that much. There is another law called uh, Pareto law. I don't know if you yeah. heard about that one. Oh, He's an it. Italian guy, 80, 20%. And I'm like, well, if we manage to do 80% success with just 20% effort, I know and when time. we're talking with clients, I know when we're talking with clients, those 20% are the cream of the cream and it has to be done. But with us, we're actually trying to, to do a lot of things in, in parallel. I feel like a lot of things that we're doing, we're just like mimicking them. And most of the times but they're not the best way done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I see now on in Diego or these platforms, it's like 
things reinvited, sneakers reinvited, or very simple product that we use in every day, just reinvented, where they're saying, okay, let's add some technology and re let's reevaluate how things are being done. And there was just another example that, uh, you know, long time ago, people were cutting the bread and putting it into the fridge. And mm -hmm. when they asked the new girls, why are we still cutting the bread? And they said, well, that's how it's done in our family. And they went to their mm -hmm. mothers. It's like, why are you cutting the cuts in the bread before putting it into the fridge? It's like how my mother did it. And they went back a few generations. And then it became that long time ago, the fridge had this much space. And so they had to cut it just to fit it into the bread. No and that's way. what the grandmother were doing. And that the mother that learned. And now you had huge fridges. But still, it's, that's how we always do it. We just cut and we just put it in, into the fridge. Wow, I've never heard of that. That's so crazy. Really? You can no. Google it up. It is another uh, research that people said, okay, but why? I mean, the, the question, the, the, the Superman logic with me is like, is there a problem? No, but uh, why? There has to be something problem because that's how you evolve and that's how you grow as a person, as a team, and also as a company. A year ago, when I decided, you know what, I'm going to write a book, it's going to be about our outreach process, process from identifying who is your ideal client. Once you know them, creating a database. Now that you have a database, you need to create a copywriting that is really engaging with those people. And then reaching out through LinkedIn and email. And once you start the outreach, people will start responding where you need to nurture in order to become a client. And I said, wow, that is a fantastic process for sharing with the world on how we actually work with I think more than almost 400 companies up to now we've worked with. And I said, okay, I'm going to write the book. And I said, there's no way you have the time, nor commitment, nor the guts, <laughs> nor the inspiration to actually survive that. And then it hit me. Okay, what if I actually split it, split it into chapters? It's like there are six, seven chapters that I want to cover. I just told you them. And I said, well... If I divided them as a mini projects, I can do it. I mean, writing a new book is a week or two of effort, but then you have a break, you can continue, then you can do another one, and then you can do another one. So each chapter became an ebook and then add some additional systems and processes and frameworks. And there you go, you have a book. And this is me thinking one and a half year ago, roughly, or one, one and a half. And now I'm almost finishing and I'm just realizing that when you finish the manuscript, you're at the start of publishing a, e -book, a book. Because, you know, you finish the manuscript and you're saying, I'm finished, I have a book. Now I've realized that's the starting point, actually, of having a book. I've realized you need uh, editors, people that will actually improve your book. Then you need... Uh, uh, spell checker, then you need uh, cover design, then you need to start thinking about, okay, how are you going to promote? Are you going self-publishing on Amazon Kindle or are you going to a publishing house? There were so many new problems that I had zero experience that those will happen. And I was like, okay, if I knew this one and a half year ago, there was no way I would actually get onto the project. But that that's my actually lesson learned. If I knew how much work it is, I would never said, okay, let's lockdown for one and a half year. But when I divided in small projects, I started making progress and bit by bit, we are almost finishing with the book. And I saw that on Amazon, there are so many options, whether you're going to do print on demand, whether you're going to print a lot and then keep it in a warehouse. Well, then if you get an order, do I need to actually go to the warehouse, pick it up, go to the post office? So these are all unknown to me, honestly. 
But mm-hmm. I think that's the part of growing because when I introduced the problem with the book, I probably had some free time because I said, okay, things are too calm. I need to disturb the, myself again. And when I introduced the, the book writing, I opened so many new problems for me, but it helped me because while I was writing the book, I started reflecting on our services. Why are we doing like this? Because I need to explain in the book, well, we're doing the ICP by trying to understand who is the ideal target in B2B. And it's not always a one person. It can be multiple people. And as I start writing it, I'm explaining it and it helped me so I can then tell it to to our team, why are we doing like that? And funny, we changed a lot of things in our service since I started writing the book. Really? It's like, we it's are like doing journal, this like journaling, this. right? It's like, like when you journal, you think of what you're doing and you're like realizing the mistakes you made in the past. So it's like kind of the same thing about your business. Yes, it's huh. completely the same. It's self-reflecting. It's You're reflecting uh-huh. on what you're doing. And it's even different when you're trying to explain someone why are you doing. You end up in a dead end. It's like, well, why are we actually doing this particular thing? And you know, by default, you're starting defending them. Well, it's important because of this, this, this. And as you're writing, you don't trust yourself that that's the right <laughs> way. And we're saying, well, really, let's change it. I mean, we've talked with a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, there are entrepreneurs like we got drunk last night, night, I got a fantastic idea. I want to start a business. And I'm like, have you thought this through? (laughs) Seriously? We're going to make 5 million in the first three months and we're going to be billionaires somewhere in Ibiza on an island and just enjoy. I'm like, good luck, dude. I'm, I'm not getting involved myself in that kind of project because... I've been there. I've had that mentality when I started my first business Mm -hmm. and I don't believe in that kind of concept. There are some exceptions, but rarely the case. On the other hand, there are entrepreneurs. It's like, you know what? I'm a financial accountant. I worked for 25 years in accounting. So I'm really good at this. And now I start, I want to start my consultancy. And I'm like, you're going to succeed. You have the experience, you have the passion and you love that thing since you're even considering starting as a business. And he has the expertise with him. It's not like, okay, now I have, uh, I want to start, I don't know, a taxi company without even knowing anything about it or Facebook ads. I still don't know anything about them because it's just, I've heard somewhere that there is money. While on Mm -hmm. the other hand, these people with experience and they just want to get out from the work to do it as a full-time, their rate is far more successful as entrepreneurs. I mean, I've worked with them. I know that they know their things and they just need guidance and help. I mean, they know the accounting. They know that world. It's just like, okay, how the business world? Do I need marketing? Do I need sales? How to find potential clients? How I can bring people to me? And those are the people that that are really nice to work with them and they actually appreciate the, the thing that you do for them. Mm, that's a really nice description of like the ideal client, your client persona. What is your ideal, like, no, not, not the ideal, you know what, what's your favorite project that you worked on if you didn't sign an NDA and you can tell us about it? Uh, when it comes to project in most of them, I have an NDAs, unfortunately. Uh, the things that we're doing are very spicy. Uh, We go into companies that, you know, uh, they're doing something very famous and we're not allowed to speak because behind the doors we're doing all the activities for them. But if I need to talk about exciting, I can tell you a few industries that we completely got lost because I didn't, I was not aware that there are industries like this. Tell me. 
I had a client from Brazil that was actually importing some stuff in Australia. And uh-huh. he was, yeah. it, it was polymers and plastic compounds. And they are polymers that actually adjust the characteristics of the plastics and the shapes and the color and the fire resisting. So there are raisins, small bits. And that was so science fiction about me because I had zero experience in that industry. For me, I was lost. Plus, I'm in Macedonia working with Australian clients, Australian market, which was 10 hours ahead of me. And the client was from Brazil, which is 10 hours behind me. So I was actually in a camp mode. I brought my pillow in the office and I said, we're not going out. I mean, we start in the morning talking with the Australian part. Okay, we're going to do this, 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 and this. Then midday, Brazil wakes up and then we move with them. We're like, we did this. We Now we're going to do this and now we're going to do this. And the, the complexity of it is that they were looking for suppliers. They were looking for manufacturers. They were looking for different parts from the market ecosystem in Australia. And our job was to ensure that they're going to get a lot of clients in Australia before they start shipping the containers from Brazil to Australia. So mm. then we got stuck with, okay, there, I didn't know that there were different sizes of containers because there were 20, 40 feet containers. And for me, it was so exhausting, so draining. And when I get out from there, I said, when I see a plastic now, it's like, you see this bottle, it has reasons to get the red color plus the the humidity of that. And it's like, uh, it's interesting for me because for every client, we need to understand the industry. We Mm -hmm. had a client that was working with elevators parts. I've learned so much about elevators that I, I don't want to know all those things, but Honestly, if I really want to help a client, I need to do. I mean, we have some more interesting projects in terms of a negotiation consultants or mindset coach from, from Ireland or the negotiation was from Switzerland or financial gurus from Canada. And I can relate with them. They have technical expertise. They love their job. My job is just to find clients for, for them. But when it comes to complex technical projects we even had some project with the artificial intelligence and deep learning and they had so many acronyms that i need a piece of paper and start writing each acronym next to me so i could start understanding what what's going on in that industry well i mean if they're all from diverse industries yeah then probably <laughs> there are, you must have implemented a lot of really weird and different solutions to uh, their lead generations right like what was yeah. like the, the strangest or the most unusual, the most counterintuitive for you solutions that you have implemented to a, like a industry? I see. Well, my ideal place of working is the gray area between the black and white. There is some gray where it's still not illegal or legal, but it's more controversial way of, mm-hmm. of working. And those are actually the most non-standard way of approaching people. So we had a client which was targeting immigration immigration agencies from around the world. And he was from UK trying to actually create a platform from all the immigration agencies. So then whenever someone is to migrate from one country to another, he can go to his platform. I'm from here. I want to live there. And he lists which agency should be. Now, we started a systematic approach country by country, reaching, finding out who are all the migration agencies. For example, in Spain, we'll go, we go to Yellow Pages, we go LinkedIn, we go on three to five different sources, and we're going to have, okay, these are 50, 100 migration agencies. 
we're going to say, hi, we're actually giving you an opportunity to join. It's for free, so you don't need to pay anything for this and this. And we would have like two, three, five agencies like, sure, if it's free of charge, I, I want to sign up. And we're like, okay, but from 100, five or six, it's really a low number. We need more actually. So we said, okay, what if we sent a second email? It's like, hi, I wrote you a few days ago. You didn't respond. Maybe you've missed it, the follow-up. And for me, at that stage, that was the science fiction. But then I realized, okay, I was so young and dumb. I mean, <laughs> but with the follow-up, we get a few more responses. And I was like, okay, how can we push these companies in order to all of them to subscribe rather than working with three to five percentage? And then we said, okay, let's do the third email where in this case, we're going to put the FOMO, I think it's called fear of missing out. Yay. It's like, hi, I, I just wanted to give you a final time if you want to join because we already have in your country this agency, this agency, this agency, and this agency. So we're listing the five main competitors that they have. And it's like, we already have this signed up, this signed up, this signed up, this signed up, and this signed up. It's your call. It tripled the the response rate. It's like, well, if you already have my biggest competitors, now I'm going to lose if I'm not there. And you know what? Now, that logic, I was like, holy shit, we hacked the system. We actually figured out a way how to push people to, to respond. And now we're actually preparing a video interview with marketing and sales automation tools. So now in my messaging to them, it's like, hi, I saw that you have a marketing and sales automation. We're doing a video interview. I would love to have your part. Uh, we already have five or six of uh, biggest marketing sales automation tools lined up. So I would really like to include in that well. And many of their responses is like, well, if other of my competitors are doing so, I should probably come on that interview as well. And I'm like, my job is down here. Uh And really, really, actually, they it's social proof when you're talking to clients because it's like, you know, you're in the real estate. I have three real estates with similar problems like you. Here is what I managed to do for them. And here is the result that they got. So if you work with me, you can get the same result. That is social proof when prospecting but then the social proof in in the competition area is like if i go to last thing i had was a compliance uh, consulting company from actually it was from spain okay and in that area i'm saying well i actually have one compliance from belgium that we're currently working they're working with cybersecurity, gdpr risks governance we have another compliance and cybersecurity from malta and i'm also talking with one compliance company from from the emirates i think it was from dubai and he's like wow you're actually working with three of our competitors okay tell me more what what did you do for them actually how how did you help them what kind of results did you do and then Half of the job is already finished. Yeah, but that's the whole point. In 21st century, at least it's hard to build a relationship. I don't know you, how I know that you're not just here to steal my money. So at the end of the day, if we think, well, we actually did. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, with the digital is I can just turn off my computer and that's it. But, you know, we are selling service. And as a service, you cannot know the results until you experience Mm -hmm. it. If it is a product, you can just show it. Here is it. This is the benefit. This is the characteristics. While in the service, even... Even with Facebook ads, can you guarantee what kind of uh, impressions, clicks, and um, the funnel will look? No, until you start. And 
why they should trust you instead of someone else. And that social proof or, or just putting them into a corner, it's like, well, we have all your competitors already working with us. It's yeah. like, holy, if you're I not, need to catch this. Yeah, if you're not jumping on the train, you're missing out. Absolutely. Exactly. That's called form Actually, of fear of missing out. Yeah. Did you notice, like, because I've had this weird trend that was really counterintuitive. Uh, bigger companies, they not only they're more responsive to the outreach, but they're more um, easy to speak to, I guess. Because, like, the smaller you go, the the harder is it to like convince them to get them on the call or like to communicate with them and with the bigger companies, which is like kind of strange if you think about it, right. They would have so many people like reaching out to them, but they're still talking to like majority, which is interesting. Yeah. We we've noticed it as well. And I right? think it first depends from industry, but there is some psychology in there when you're trying to reach one to 10 people. If you're talking about the management decision maker, like CEO, managing director, founder, co-founder, owner, co-owner, those are management roles. They juggle between marketing, sales, accounting, client acquisition, client retention, and they need to do a lot of things in parallel. They don't have time to chit-chat. They're busy. And by busy, I'm saying they need to get up, roll their sleeves up, and just get into the work. While on the other hand, with the big companies, they have more established roles. So if you're targeting marketing department, they have mar chief marketing officer who has some defined roles. Then you have a uh, digital marketing executive, then you have offline marketing, then you have advertising, then you have different roles. So when you reach out to that guy, it's not like they need to take care of the entire marketing. They just have one section and they are more interested in just engaging on building network because it's not that you're just trying to build relationship. It's a mutual benefit. You learn something from them. They learn something from you. So they are also interested in expanding the, their network. Well, uh, when I was up to 10 people, I really didn't have time to, to even consider about doing podcasts or spreading the world or doing, you just need to keep working, bringing new clients, executing, bringing money on the table. As we grow, as I told you now, we have project managers, sales managers, marketing manager. I can start breathing and I'm saying, okay, how we can actually now spread the world about BSB and how we can actually reach out to, to a bigger audience. And it's same on LinkedIn. I mean, there are, People. Now, that's why I said it depends on the industry because there are some industries that are more responding to others regardless of size. When it comes to mm -hmm. manufacturing, that's I'm going to say again, we had very bad results. <laughs> it's really, people don't, they have LinkedIn profile, but they're not using it. Yeah. But back to, to your uh, trend, we just saw that the bigger the company, there are even more people to approach because if you're after a marketing decision maker within the real estate, they could have two, three, four, five different marketing people. And of course, the more people you reach out from the same company, you're increasing exponentially your chance on, on getting yourself closer to, to that company. 1000%. So what is the most unexpected outcome you have received to your outreach? Have you ever had like, 100% reply rates, like a unicorn like that, or like 0% <laughs> reply rate, or like whatever uh, was the targets of the campaign, like, I don't know, clicking on the link or something, like 0 or yeah. 100, like something extreme. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I 
am as a LinkedIn guru in the area where I know mm. exactly what I'm doing. And actually my wife LinkedIn profile has more connections than mine. Mm. And it's bugging me all the time because I mean, she's a girl, beautiful one. She has a good profile picture and people are more attracted to get connected to her than with me. I'm trying with invitation message, being more conversational, trying to post things and everything. She does nothing. And for me, it was so absurd that I was like, it's not fair because is it just people are choosing because of beauty, because you have a nice picture, or is it because people are more prone to, to accept to, to female requests? It doesn't have to be any, I mean, uncomfortable. It's like you as a woman business, you're reaching out to people. We've realized that girls are getting far better acceptance rate than males. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be anything about men and women. But when it comes to girls, people are more keen to, to accept girls. So if you have a self It's like non-threatening, like not like the idea is like, oh, it's not going to be like a huge, ambitious, power-hungry person, you know, like trying to sell you a lot of things. You're like, okay, you know, she can be nice. Like, I guess that that's yeah. the feeling. Huh. And they're more open to, to, to connecting with girls and mm. talking to girls. And it's funny. So if you have a sales team, they need to be girls because when you start reaching on LinkedIn or on email, it's like, ah, at least I would love to connect with her or uh, any girl name. And it was interesting that as we start using LinkedIn, there are some people hitting on us. I mean, in terms of <laughs> expressing love on LinkedIn, it's like, wow, you're so beautiful. I really love to know you a bit more. And it is uncomfortable situation. I mean, yeah, we just yeah. ignore them. I mean, there's no point in engaging. But that the last crazy thing that we got was we have a male LinkedIn profile and a male started hitting on him. And he was like, I don't know if anyone tells you, but you're so beautiful on, on your Facebook, on your LinkedIn profile. And we were like, okay, I don't know how to respond to that. Let's just keep that guy and keep on with the campaign. But <laughs> those are really uncomfortable situations that we're like, okay, someone is yeah. just hitting on girls. But even it's a new people- trend. A lot of people are using LinkedIn nowadays uh, as a dating site. Honestly, it's like a totally a thing. It's a trend. <laughs> so don't I, if surprised. I tell you a bigger joke, I mean, uh, our Go two on. project managers were girls and they were not yeah. married. And we were no. joking, well, we're LinkedIn expert. Let's figure no. this out. What kind of people are you looking for? I mean, we no. didn't do it. It was a joke, <laughs> to be clear. But it was like, okay, LinkedIn gives you the opportunity to choose uh, what kind of men do you want? You can say, well, I want to be working in a company that is, I don't know, in a corporations. Put it LinkedIn mm-hmm. filter about 500 employees. Then you say, well, do you want a creative guy so you can look for marketing art positions? Or no do you way. want more geeky so you can look for a software developer? Or you want more a management role? And then once you filter that out, you can say, okay, what kind of education do you want to have? Because you can choose masters. You can choose where did he go, whether he went to Harvard or, or any university. And, you know, it was funny because you can actually pre-choose and filter out a filter that could actually give you a list. But then with the automation, it's, hi, how are you? <laughs> and start reaching out and building a relationship. Jesus. Did they get a boyfriend? No, no, we didn't try it. It was just, uh, you know, talking you on the table. 
Christian, oh my God. <laughs> in theory, you can even look at their interest. Are they interested in, I don't know, astronomy perhaps, or if you have a hobby that you want, like mm. mountain climbing, you can say, okay, he needs to be a member in any hiking clubs that are nearby. You can choose from which city you want them to be. But yeah, that was more of an inside joke here at Bisbee that we did rather than actually following up on it, of course. You should, but, you should, you should try it, honestly. Why not? Like, it's going to be an ultimate experiment, right? Tell me this, what is your favorite book or what is the book that you would recommend? Ooh, book part. Uh, when it comes Something to books, uh, I have it right here because it's always Ooh. here. Yeah, no, but honestly, I have a couple of books here and I still buy more books that I can read, honestly, but it's Predictable Revenue by Aaron Ross. And to give you just why I believe that's the, the best book, it was published more than 10 years ago and it is the holy Bible of B2B lead generation and prospecting. I mean, uh, he was working for Salesforce, I think, turn your business into a sales machine with 100 million best practice of Salesforce. So mm. he was working in Salesforce. He made Salesforce hundreds of millions. And then he said, I'm just going to document this into a book. And he had very good strategies. Okay, you need specialization within the sales team. Then you need several sequences because with one message, you're not going to get the results. He even had several templates in terms of what kind of messages you can use. But the title, Predictable Revenue, for me, it was a revolution because when I was working in the freelance world, it was really, sometimes you have a lot of clients, sometimes you don't have. So Predictable Revenue, for me as a business owner, was the holy grail. If I know that I can consistently have this amount of new clients and this amount of leads and this amount of project, I can start to relax a bit. And his logic was that with the inbound marketing, you're just spreading the world with content, with blogs, with podcasts, but you have no idea when the phone will ring. While with the outreach, with the prospecting, you know, I'm going to reach out 50 people every day for the rest of my life. It's not like one week. And then... That 50 people per day is it within 20 working days, it's 1,000. From the 1,000 that I reach out in this month, 50% responded. From them, 20% expressed interest. I'll, I'll close 10%. And then you know. So every month, as long as I keep inviting 1,000 people, I know I'm going to get 10 meetings, one new mm -hmm. client or two new clients. And that's the predictability. So you think, okay, if I want... 20 clients then i need to multiply by 10 and then it's pure math so i need 10 people that's gonna do 50 outreach per day and that's how i'm gonna get 20 new clients every month predictably there will be some months 18 someone 22 but the average you can predict in advance and for me that was like a holy grail Honestly, from that point, we said, you know what? I think that this is the problem with all the agencies and all the companies that they cannot really predict consistently how many leads every day or week or month will come or predict how many clients. Since we implemented this, I mean, this is now our core service, uh, is that we know exactly how many new clients we can expect every month, plus minus some percentage. Yeah.